Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And we have three locations. We have one in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 in Capitol. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is just kitty corner from Wiki's. And we also have the um, luxury, as I say, especially at this time of year, to say that we can meet with our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you would like to put a voice with a face. If you'd like to know more about the Ellen Becker Investment Group, please go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Mike Roth, and Mike has been a guest for over 20 years um, on Money Sense and comes on the show every couple, couple times every year to kind of give us his insight into what's been going on in the market. And today, Mike, well, first of all, welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you. And Mike is the um, the founder of Roth Investments, which is also located right in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Mike, I wrote down some things, economic cycles, bubbles, manias, panics, pendulum swings. You've been through them all. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll pick D, all the above. <laughs> all of the above. And so here we are again in kind of like a, a no man's land in a way. And I know our clients are, thank goodness for us that we provide education to our clients. And they've really been able to be very diligent in their investing. And I guess I want to say we're never supposed to say that word, but trust that, you know, the way we invest money for the long term is really the way to go. But it's been kind of a scary uh, roller coaster ride. Can you give us a little bit of insight of what happened last year and maybe a little bit of what we can look forward to um, in the coming year? Sure, be more than happy to. And as always, it's a privilege to be on the program. I've very much enjoyed it through the years. And looking back, uh, it, it always seems like um, things are changing and it's, it's different. Um, experience certainly is a help, but it also informs you that uh, you know history rhymes sometimes and it's not always gonna be exactly the same. So if we look at the year in review, um, very quickly, everyone is familiar with the sort of the big moving factors. Uh, the biggest headline in retrospect was inflation. Inflation uh, is hard to remember. I mean, it's, it was only a year ago, but coming into the year, inflation was already at 40-year highs. But we we're coming out of this incredibly unusual situation because of the pandemic and the lockdowns and all of the policies that flowed from that, both the government's policies, the Fed's policies. So even though uh, we were in a situation where inflation was already high and, and the red lights were flashing, uh, you may remember the Fed was essentially still at 0.25% interest rates. So incredibly accommodative, um, uh, very market friendly, uh, in addition, they were still doing so-called quantitative easing. So they were using its balance sheet to buy security. So essentially still just flooding the economy with money. 
Now you may say, well, why were they doing that if the inflation indicators were flashing red? Well, the big concern at the time was that we were still, we needed to rev up the economy because we had just gone through this lockdown and everyone said, well, we've got to, we've got to restart the engine, right? <laughs> we're starting, we're starting, I can see the ground below. We got to get the engines going. So I think the Fed was erring on the side of let's continue to be accommodative uh, as we were during the lockdown because we need to come out of the lockdown. We've got to get the economy going. Uh, and so uh, again, I'll refresh, I'll refresh everyone's recollection. The term at the time was um, that uh, the inflation was transitory, right? We heard that uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen, transitory inflation. So yeah, inflation's high, but it, it, it's transitory. And I, I don't think they were just giving that lip service. I think they believed it because again, this was a very unusual inflationary scenario. Um, yes, you had inflation because of uh, very accommodative Fed policy. They were pumping money into the economy. We also uh, recall uh, that the government had programs all over the place. They were spending billions and billions of dollars on various programs to keep the economy going and to, and, and to restart it. So these are, are the stimulus programs and the checks being mailed to people who were out of jobs or you know, to the point that it became detrimental because people didn't wanna go back to work. They were getting paid enough to stay home. Uh, but billions were being pumped into the economy. Um, and uh, in addition, so you had on, on the one hand, demand was being, um, a tremendous amount of stimulus was being pumped into the demand side. Now on the supply side, again, we'll recall, we had all these supply chain issues. Now they, they've abated in the present, but back then, oh my God, there's, uh, there's shipping containers lined up outside the port of Los Angeles, halfway to Hawaii. And uh, you can't get the chips, you know, car manufacturers uh, can't get the chips for their cars, on and on and on. So we had all these supply chain issues because we had outsourced so much of our, our, uh, our uh, supply chain uh, that other countries that were in lockdown status, most notably China, suddenly were creating all these supply chain issues. So you have that factor. So you have a, a crimping of supply, a boosting of demand, in addition, there was a war going on in Europe, uh, which meant, of course, that um, uh, uh, certain items, certain pivotal items, uh, fertilizer, uh, obviously oil and gas, particularly for, the, for Europe coming out of Russia. So to the extent that all these sanctions were, were starting to get piled up on Russia and Ukraine was beginning to get hammered because of the invasion, that was creating inflationary pressure by restricting supply of those critical items. Uh, so, so you had this, this sort of weird combination of factors that were boosting demand, constraining supply. Uh, you also had a sort of a special situation going on in labor. And labor is always a big focus for the Fed because the idea that wages might get into an inflationary spiral uh, is something that's very concerning to them because wages are very sticky. You know, once wages go up, it's tough for wages to come back down. It's not like cutting the you know, price on, on, a, on a, a can of beer or something. Um, so you had a situation where uh, companies were trying to uh, restart and they couldn't find workers. And part of this was, as we said, uh, you have a stimulus program which was disincentivizing people to work. In addition, you had a lot of people who went through the pandemic experience and either were still afraid to go back to work or decided, you know what, I'm close enough to retirement you know, forget it. I'm not going back. 
or I've discovered a whole new lifestyle or, or whatever, but uh, we, had a, we had a labor problem. So we had more jobs and we had people, which was creating a, a wage push on inflation. So it's, it's an inflation mess. And the Fed is looking at this and thinking, well, huh, we've got, we've got two competing issues here. We've got to restart the economy coming out of lockdown, but we also have to keep an eye on inflation. But I think they really felt, ah, you know, there's lots of things here which are temporary. Government programs will end. Um, the supply chain will sort itself out. Um, so let's just keep the, the foot on the accelerator for a while. So as I said, into the first quarter of last year, up until March, uh, interest rates were still super low. And then March, I think it began to dawn on them that we're losing control of this, that inflation is getting worse. And indeed, inflation kept getting worse. Uh, it peaked in June at around 9%. And they and they they didn't about face. And they said, you know what? We've got to shift our priorities. That we think the economy, which at that time was still pretty weak, uh, GDP in the first quarter was about minus 1.6 percent, so down. Uh, in the second quarter, it was minus 0.9 percent, again down, but um, small. But I think they felt like, well, the economy seems to be sort of hanging in, probably on the cusp of uh, reigniting. Uh, so let's shift our focus. Oh my gosh, we can't get behind the inflation curve. So now they suddenly uh, changed uh, completely, took their foot off the gas pedal and stomped on the brakes. And when I say stomped on the brakes, I'm not exaggerating because over the remaining uh, three quarters of the year, so from March on, they raised interest rates seven times. They raised interest rates uh, four and a quarter percent. So interest rates went from I'm talking now about the Fed funds rates, which sort of governs all the rest of the rates. They went from 0.25 to four and a half, which is where we are now. So that's a huge increase in rates in a very short period of time. And all of a sudden, boom, they're just, they're just hammering out 75 basis point increases, which are in and of, of itself extraordinary. Uh, and, and so the Fed now is, we've got to get in, in, uh, in front of this curve. We were behind the curve. For good reasons, we felt, but now we got to get in front of it because everyone knows uh, who's an economist. Boy, you know, inflation can really get out of control, and and you can't just sit and, and hope it abates. Uh, so the idea now was we need to uh, put a break on demand. We've been we've been stimulating demand. We need to start putting a break on demand, and so that was essentially the Fed's response to the to inflation. Uh, so you had a weak economy, you had roaring inflation, you had the feds essentially ramping up rates in order to get in front of the inflation. Uh, what was the market response to all of this? Ah, sell everything, essentially. So uh, the market, of course, this is like everybody else. It's easy in retrospect to see how this played out and everything got worse, but it wasn't quite clear. Was inflation going to keep getting worse? Uh, what was the Fed's response to it going to be? Uh, I don't think anybody anticipated necessarily that it would be this kind of rapid rate increase. What would the response to the economy be? Because again, we're coming out of this very weird period, unprecedented, a lockdown on the economy and all the things that went with it and all these supply chain issues. Uh, would the supply chain issues correct themselves with the economy, which seemed to be still pretty strong because look at all this demand for labor. Um, so there was a lot of confusion in the market, but in general, I think the feeling was this is not good. 
and you know company earnings are going to get hammered by this because rising rates are bad for companies, bad for their profits, because the cost of capital goes up. They need capital to run their business. And now the cost of capital, if you just look at what was going on for the very most blue chip companies, their cost of capital went from 3% to 6%, so doubled. And of course, to the extent the Fed is now trying to stomp down demand, well, that's not good for profits. Um, it's not good for the consumer that interest rates are going up, credit card rates are going up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the market's response typically in a rising rate environment, particularly one um, as dramatic as this, is to pull back. And so what we saw globally, not just in the United States, because this, was, this phenomenon was playing out around the world, uh, globally, stocks were down around 19%. S&P was down around 19 20% for the year. Uh, bonds were down about 16% because rising interest rates are bad for bonds because the bond you hold now is less valuable because rates are going up. So essentially, uh, almost across the board, because commodities, you don't need as many commodities if you think the economy is, is starting to, to weaken and potentially going to recession, et cetera. Uh, so it was a very tough year for the market overall. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he is the founder and president of Stark Investments. Mike has been a guest on the show, and you can tell why. He's got this amazing amount of information. And also, Mike, one of the things that's always been really present is that you have a way of delivering it that people can actually understand it. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, um, look at what the future holds. But, you know, so many people got scared with gas prices went crazy and real estate um the whole idea of these houses were were crazy and people were like what's happening and so with that we'll take a quick break Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. And as I said earlier, I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And it's just such a pleasure to do this show. We've been doing it over almost, I've been doing it 35 years. And that's a really long time. And I've had the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people as guests that have come on the show and have really enlightened me as a financial advisor to really service and create a company that I believe really focuses on education and focuses on our clients and also focuses on our employees because without without them without my listeners where would I be <laughs> I would be nowhere and my guest today is Mike Roth and as I said earlier too he is the president and founder of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee and has been a guest on the show and Mike, all the things that you said, I told you during the break, it's so much fun to listen to you because you have this ability to um, grasp what's going on and, and put it into uh, a synopsis that truly everybody can understand, may not agree with, of course, because, you know, we all have different opinions <laughs> and so often uh we relate everything to what's happening in the world around us. And I mentioned at the end of the break that people are so frightened of what happened with gas prices last year and where that's going to take us. Of course, inflation and the craziness about the whole real estate market also was kind of astounding. And people would say, well, I'm getting offered all this money for my house, but where will I live? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> of course, things change very quickly. And now we're seeing the uh, uh, just if you just 
just a little sidebar on the real estate market, you're starting to see uh, the market roll over a bit because obviously the affordability of homes uh, is, is, is bad. Just bad. Let's call it bad, right? Because we all know <laughs> mortgage rates are are have been in the sort of six percent ish range, uh, which uh, is maybe for people like us who have been around for a long time, not not so bad. But if you've grown up in an environment <laughs> where mortgage rates were you know one percent, two percent, very very low, this is mind blowing and also unaffordable. Just unaffordable for more people, obviously. Um, so you're starting to see uh, new home sales uh, decrease significantly. I think they were down 35% or so. Wow. I'll have to go check that number um, in the last quarter, but um, it's just having an effect. And home builders, if you look at, you know, they're they're in the dumps uh, because they sort of see, wow, it's just harder for, there are fewer people who can afford housing and um, fewer people who, uh, in, particularly if you think you're going into a recession, just really want to sort of take on that kind of purchase right now. Well, and rents have gone up so much. So it, it, it's just a domino effect. Exactly. Although it's interesting, uh, rents have moderated uh, in the last few months. Uh, and also, in, uh, there's actually an article yesterday I was reading, which said that um, uh, demand for rental units is down. You say, well, you know, how is wow. that? Yeah, exactly. I think everybody, <laughs> went, everybody did sort of the double take on that and they said essentially um, uh, rental demand is a function of household formation. And in this uncertain environment, you're just seeing fewer people uh, forming households or to the extent that for instance, that they graduated from college and normally their first move is to get a job and, and rent an apartment of some sort. Uh, more and more they're living with their parents because again, uncertainty is sort of fueling a reluctance to make even a lease commitment at this point. So it's just sort of a little side note. So uh, let's 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 run with that confusion right now and uncertainty. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk just a, a moment about the current uh, situation, and then really go into what people want to hear about, which is what can we expect in the year to come. So uh, I'm just gonna quote Churchill here because uh, the great master orator I think captured it well. So um, back in the '40s, after the first big Allied uh, victory. He, he went on the radio and he said, this is not the end. It is not even the end, uh, the beginning of the end. But he said, this may be the end of the beginning. So if you're thinking about where are we, I think we are sort of at that Churchillian end of the beginning. So we've, we've gone through the pandemic, we've gone through the inflationary uh, spike. Uh, and so now we're entering sort of the next phase. The Fed is fighting the fight. Um, it is. Uh, it has put through all kinds of um, stomps on the brake through interest rate increases. Now, the thing to remember about the Fed and when it it uh, it starts getting to be more restrictive, is that it doesn't happen instantaneously. It's not like oh, we just raised interest rates 75 basis points, and you can look over and say oh, at, I'm, I'm seeing demand you know hit right now. Usually, it takes about nine months or more for the transmission to go through the economy. So if they raise rates in March, which they, when they began, we're just now starting to feel that. So a lot of people would say, and we're gonna get into the debate over whether we're in for a soft landing, a hard landing, or the ever popular squishy landing, <laughs> which is sort of in the middle. But the hard landing people would say, the cake is baked. Uh, the Fed rammed through all these interest rates, 
uh, and they're going to start hitting the economy and the economy is going to slow down and we're going to go into a recession. Um, so when you look at the leading economic indicators today, so uh, we're here early January, uh, it doesn't look great. Um, the ISM and, and, and uh, PMI, which are two indicators of business activity, are negative. That's an indicator of a pending recession. You look at um, exports to the United States, particularly from high export countries like South Korea. Uh, uh, they're looking very weak, which is, again, an indicator of recession. And then you have the yield curve. So the yield curve essentially is um, the difference between, say, you invest in a one-year T-bill versus a 10-year treasury. And the yield curve generally essentially is upward sloping. So if they want to get your money for 10 years, they need to pay you more. In other words, you need a higher interest rate to commit to a 10-year treasury versus, oh, you want my money for one year? Yeah, I'll take, I'll take a lower interest rate for that. So what we've, had, we, what we've had for a while, and what we have right now, is what's known as an inverted yield curve. In other words, you get paid more for lending three months than you do 10 years. Okay, And what that tells you is that people are thinking, you know what, uh, I think interest rates are going to go up interest rates are going to stay up. So I don't want to lock in for 10 years. I'm just going to lock in for a short period of time so I can take advantage of the higher rates that I think are coming. And that's usually a, a, an indicator of recession. And the old yield curve uh, looks like Nostradamus because the yield curve has predicted uh, recessions 90% of the time since 1960. So it's a pretty good indicator. And as I said, it's inverted right now. So the, the indicator lights are flashing recession. Um, at the same time, and this is where all the market confusion is, you know, the market, of course, looks at every data point every day. It's like you stepping on your scale and thinking, huh, I'm down a pound. And then the next day you step <laughs> on it and you go, huh, how can I go up two pounds? I only had broccoli for, for dinner. Um, but as we know, one data point does not necessarily make a trend, but the, that's not how the market thinks. So uh, just last week, we had a, a labor report, which was sort of a Goldilocks report. And it was Goldilocks because on the one hand, um, jobs were strong again. It says, wow, you know, we created 235,000 jobs, economy still pretty strong. Uh, at the same time, uh, wages, wage growth was down a little bit. So it looked like wage inflation was starting to come off a little bit. And that's great because we know the Fed is laser focused on wage inflation. But so, so that's what's going on right now. A lot of confusion. Um, stocks are not cheap. Uh, the market is, is, is rich. It's, it's trading, uh, I'll go a little technical here, at about 17 times, which I'll just, just take that number and say, okay, is that cheap or not? No, it's not cheap. 17 times is not cheap. The so-called risk premium, so the, the amount of uh, sort of premium you need, given where uh, bond yields are, is still pretty high. It's around four, four and a half percent. So in other words, you still, you, you now have a real opportunity cost decision. You know, yields are better than I've seen them in a long time, in almost, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, so I have a, a, a decision to make here. Do I step into equities, which I just said aren't cheap, and we just said potentially, uh, you know, maybe we may be heading into a recession. We still have the Fed, you know, at a high rate mode, et cetera. So it's a higher risk trade right now, or do I sit it out in something that's just a high yield instrument? So it's, it's an opportunity cost question. 
um, a lot of confusion around what you should be doing next. Um, so where, where do we go from here? So you're gonna, on any given day, there's a data point and you're gonna see the journal and you're gonna see the talking heads on CNDC blathering on about the significance of this and the market's gonna potentially rally. Um, but again, you have to be careful of any individual data point. When, let's take a quick break, Mike. And when we come back, can you continue on this journey that we're taking of uh, where we, you know, you talk about recession, you talk about opportunity costs. And I know that people get a little bit leery. And, and yet this whole idea of an opportunity uh, for people to get in and, you know, kind of make hay while the sun shines seems like a good idea. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he has been talking about where we've been in this crazy economy and where we're going. And our last, the end of our last segment, we were, Michael was talking about this is a, a choice for people. You're kind of at that crossroads where do you want to sort of sit back on the sidelines and, and wait and see, or do you want to take that opportunity to jump in and uh, get into the market? You know, Mike, that's always a dilemma. It's, it's the eternal dilemma. Uh, and as I was highlighting, the um, uh, perplexity of the current moment is such that it's 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 more confusing than it's always confusing. Um, it's more confusing than normal for all of the things we've just in, been discussing. Um, and I was just talking about how you, you you should expect that the market will react to individual data points, but you really have to sort of distinguish between the signal and the noise. So any given day, there's a lot of noise. This is happening, that happening. Oh, this report came out, uh, but you have to try to figure out what is the signal here. Uh, where are we on, on this, this uh, curve, so to speak, where the Fed has essentially responded forcefully to uh, getting behind the curve on inflation, which we explained why it was for good reasons. Uh, but now it's the battle is joined and we're into it. And the rates are already uh, been loaded and launched. They haven't all hit. All the rate increases have not hit the economy yet. Uh, so this is where the, the debate comes as to... Um, we're, we're going to have a recession, very likely, but is it a soft landing, a hard landing, or a squishy landing, which is sort of everything in between? And, and right now, to the extent that your listeners may um, uh, uh, want to damage their brains by reading all of the very analyses and, and um, uh, reports by banks, and you know, everybody's got a view. And there's, this, there's a sort of a consensus view, but there's some very intelligent uh, people in some of the best banks who think, you know, this is going to get ugly. And then there are some who are saying, uh-uh, we're, you know, the worst is behind us and look at how strong the economy is and we're going to, we're going to rub it up. So you have people who are thinking, oh, you know, maybe I step in here around, you know, the Dow being down, I mean, not the Dow, but the S&P being down around 3,500 level, uh, which is, you know, down six, 7%. But then you have, uh, say, you know, some guy from Morgan Stanley saying, uh, I, I see the Dow bottoming at 3,000, which is down 22% from here. <laughs> so I, as I said, it's all over the place right now, and with good reason, because you've got, it's a multivariate equation. 
which means that we've got all these different things going on, any one of which could push the economy, the Fed, and the market in a, in a particular direction. So just, let's just look at what's likely to be happen and, and, and what are the variables are. So the Fed is very data dependent. No matter what they say, commonsensically, they're looking at, at the data, what they've done, where is the economy, what's going on in the world, and they're, they're charting policy accordingly. But they did come into the year saying essentially, for all you Fed pivot people out there, uh -uh, we are not going to be uh, cutting rates this year in 2023. Now they said that, but who knows? Uh, they also said, expect more rate increases. So now of course the big guessing game is, wow, do you think they're gonna do 25 basis points in February? Or are they gonna stick to 50? Because they had gone from 75, then the last one they did last year, was 50. So actually a, th a little bit throttling back. Are they going to continue to throttle back? Not, not clear. Uh, I and I and when I say the, the Fed is data dependent, they're going to be looking at the reports. So we get the uh, CPI for December, the um, price index, the inflation index report tomorrow. And that number is going to either send the market roaring because, oh my gosh, inflation is still coming down. Now to be clear, it's not like prices are going down. It's the rate of increases are decreasing. <laughs> so, so that's what's known as disinflation. And that's what they're celebrating. Okay, rates, uh, prices are still going up, but not as fast. You know, so break out the champagne. But it's, it means the Fed is, is starting to uh, gain traction. And that's a good thing because the more traction it gains, the sooner the torture will end and Fed rates will stop going up. So that's the thinking. So the, the, um, the, the soft data people, I mean, I'm sorry, the soft landing people are essentially pointing at the things that support their belief. They're pointing at that jobs report. Man, that jobs report, solid economy, still making jobs. Uh, wages are starting to you know, uh, pull back some, and I say pull back, pull back in a rate of increase, but still just inflation in, in wages. We know the Fed is really focused on that. Um, the, the Fed is also focused on the unemployment rate because we still have a situation where there's like 1.7 jobs for every worker. So the Fed wants to see unemployment go up, uh, probably double. So unemployment right now is around three and a half percent. They'd probably like to see it more in the six to seven percent range. Then they'll feel like, yeah, we're starting to really get to a point where um, uh, the economy is going to correct itself. Labor imbalances are going to correct themselves. Um, but the soft landing people are laser focused, as I said, on that way that that jobs report as a sort of early indicator. And if, if the CPI comes in a little weaker tomorrow, they'll be focused on that. And they'll say, here we go. You know, earnings are, are going to be flat, not down. You know, every, everyone's thinking that um, fourth quarter earnings are going to be a disaster and all the forward guidance is going to be bad. And they're and they're probably right. Uh, fourth quarter earnings, which start this week. Uh, are going to be uh, poor, and the forward guidance, you know, by definition, is going to be bad because there's no incentive for a CEO to overpromise in this situation. Uh, <laughs> they might as well lowball it uh, because everyone's thinking there's going to be a recession, so there, there's no incentive to do otherwise. Uh, so they're thinking, wow, the soft landing people, it's it's going to be not that bad, and uh, the Fed's going to begin. They may not. Okay, I, I, all right, fine. They may not uh, start cutting rates but they're gonna stop raising rates, okay? So that's, that's good, that's the soft landing. 
And then the hardlining people are going, are you out of your mind? You know, there, there are so many Fed increases already in the pipeline. The, the recession is guaranteed. Uh, and uh, the Fed can't pull those rate increases back and they're not gonna pull the rate increases back. And uh, it's gonna take a while for unemployment to correct itself because we just came through the whole wonky pandemic layoff, stay home thing. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, did I mention the market is not cheap? So a not cheap market where profits are going to get hammered uh, is going to go down. So this is where you get into the, well, okay, so we got the soft landing people. I got the, you know, crash landing people who think it's going to be <laughs> down, market down 22%. And then there's everything in between, which of course is the like, likelihood is that it's going to be somewhere in there. And Nobody knows. You got to be out of your mind to try to predict that because, as I said, you've got um, all these different variables going on. So, um, on the plus side, you do have supply chains uh, freeing up. So, yeah, chips are starting to come in. So, that's on the plus side. Supply will increase. Um, you do have um, the Fed obviously no longer being accommodative, they're being quite restrictive. So, demand will pull back. Um, you do also have the end of probably the end of the Uber stimulus government program, because we now have a divided Congress, which means that uh, the Democrats uh, can't just simply push through uh, the kind of spending uh, that they've done in the past, whether you agree with it or not. That's not a political statement. It's just a fact. So you have more of a stalemate gridlock scenario in Congress. So that means uh, you're probably not going to get this sort of, again, stimulate overstimulation of the economy. Um, you're going to still have war. Uh, and I think that could go on for quite some time and all of the re restrictions that go with it. But it feels like the world is sort of uh, adapting to it. Um, so if that's the worst case we have, and hopefully worst case uh, is, best case would be obviously peace. Uh, but if the war just continues on the way it has been from just a purely economic standpoint, uh, that's probably not, uh, not uh, gonna be uh, terrible bad news. So you put that all together and you probably say, yeah, we're going to have a recession, not soft, not super hard, probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, and this is probably going to go on for a while. My guest today is Mike Roth. He is the founder and president of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sets. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you'd like to know more about us, about me, you can go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he has been a guest on the show for over 20 years, giving us insights into what's happening in the market. And Mike, I guess, you know, there's so much happening and you're never supposed to look back, look forward <laughs> and, you know, and what else is, what else is happening? I know that um, <clears throat> there's just, there's so much more to, and, and feelings and emotion in the market right now. Well, that's exactly correct. So um, I know the question I'm sure that people want me to finally get to, you know, what should I do? Right, that's great, Mike. Uh, Appreciate all the information, but uh, how should I be thinking about the market? And we, we touched on it a little bit, noting that you have uh, you have more options than you have had traditionally, because for the first time in a very long time, as we said, uh, yields are are decent, 
I say that only with historical perspective of, you know, they're not zero. Um, and you can get three, 4%, uh, depending upon what you're investing in with varying degrees of risk uh, without taking on equity market exposure. Um, so that's a choice. And I, it depends upon where you are, your risk appetite, uh, et cetera. Uh, but you have that choice. Um, we've already outlined that there's all kinds of ways this market can go in the months ahead. Uh, because there's all different ways the, um, the economy can go. Uh, it can go into recession of varying degrees of depth and severity and duration. Um, the um, Fed response uh, probably isn't going to change a whole lot uh, other than the fact that they're probably going to get to a point where they're just going to sit where they are and let everything they've done sort of seep through to the economy. We are going to see changes in the in the labor uh, market. Um, one thing about that labor report that everybody got excited about, you can't just always take these headline numbers at face value. So when you deconstruct the, the number of new jobs created, uh, most of them were part-time jobs. And, and most of them were in lower paying uh, professions. So the phenomenon we're seeing right now is daily headlines of companies, particularly in tech, uh, and in growth companies, all the companies that benefited from, from the low interest rate environment uh, and the go-go days are, are cutting staff because they're getting hit the most. So layoffs at Amazon, layoffs at this tech company and that tech company, et cetera. So you're seeing a uh, uh, trade-off of uh, high-paying white-collar jobs, six-figure jobs for lower-paying hourly jobs that are often part-time. So there's a qualitative aspect to this that is not good for the overall picture. So I'm just going to just throwing that out there for the people who are leaning too heavily on the jobs numbers. But the reality is, is that the predictions for the market are, as I said, all over the place. I think generally people are thinking flat to down 7% is probably most people's uh, glass half full consensus view. Uh, and so that might lead people to think, hmm, you know, I might start dipping my toe in if the market, if the S&P gets down to 3,500. So the market can go down some. Uh, I'm not necessarily ever going to call the bottom because I certainly haven't done it in 20 plus years. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll start getting back into the market, taking on some risk. Uh, on the other hand, you have the people who are, I mean, really smart people, good people, uh, just like the people who think it's going to go down a little bit, who are saying, uh-uh, this thing is, a, is going down 20 plus it's going down to 3,000. So if you get suckered into buying at 3,500, you're in for a ride. The answer is who knows? Nobody knows. I mean, these, as I said, all smart people, all looking at the same data sets, all drawing upon their experience and coming to uh, very, very different conclusions. So all you can do as an investor is understand your situation. Hopefully you have a good advisor, like you, Karen. Um, that's still a little plug. Uh, and, um, uh, <laughs> You, know, you have to sort of figure out where you are, what's your risk appetite, what's your duration of investment. Now, if you're going to ride this out long term, you're not going to call the bottom. So at some point into weakness, yeah, you do start adding exposure or you just hold on to exposure. The worst trap is to end up in these cycles of emotional investing where the market starts to rally, you buy, market goes down, you panic, you sell. So you're into the buy high, sell low cycle, which is <laughs> not the cycle you want to be in. 
Um, so th I guess th that's my sort of guidance um, guidance going forward. Um, it, I think I'll move on from that to talking about what I think is going to be a, a new world that we're entering. Um, so as I said earlier, uh, Churchill had, had this great insight. And so to the extent that we are at the end of the beginning and not the beginning of the end. And when I say end, it's probably the end of a lot of the experience that we've had over the past 20 some or more years. Um, and for people who have been in the investment business for a long time, uh, they, this will resonate with them because they've lived through it. But there are also people, a lot of people, in fact, I'd say most of the people on Wall Street, because it's a young uh, person's game, uh, who have never experienced sort of the, the, the world I'm about to describe. So we've been in a world of ultra low interest rates, free money, almost, negative interest rates. I mean, the kinds of things that, you know, prior to 20 years ago would have blown economists' minds. How can interest rates be negative? But yeah, they, they just stopped being negative a few months ago for the first time in years. Uh, so uh, for a variety of reasons coming out of the 08 uh, period, um, uh, we've been in an era of, of extremely low interest rates, ex extremely accommodative monetary policy, um, uh, government deficits, everybody essentially levering up. So there's a huge amount of leverage in the system. Um, credit card debt right now, and this is also a reflection, obviously, of, of potentially going into a recession. Credit card debt is at an all-time high in the United States. It's about 940-some billion dollars. This is at the same time as credit card interest rates are at an all-time high. I, I didn't know this, but astoundingly, it's almost 20%. So put that together, more credit card debt than ever with higher rates than ever. So, you know, people just have to be getting hammered. I mean, it's I, I probably your listeners would never think about this, but certainly uh, if you're digging a hole, the old uh, uh, admonition is quit digging, right? <laughs> you're in a hole, quit digging. So um, no matter whatever you may be struggling with, credit card debt is not the way to go because the interest rates are, are loan shark level right now. Um, but nonetheless, that's where we are. And when you look at um, uh, other consumer debt, so-called non-revolving debt. Uh, these are student loans, auto loans, everything else. It's like three and a half trillion dollars. So the leverage is sky high everywhere you look. So I think when you talk about the new world, people are going to have to um, really, I think, plan and look ahead as to what they're doing and how they're spending their money, because we're never going to see those low interest rates again, but everybody has gotten so used to it. The other thing that I have to just mention that is coming up all the time is that there are 10,000 people a day retiring as baby boomers for the next 10 to, 10 to 15 years. And you know, Mike, they're also looking at what does this world look like to me? So you've got this very young generation that you've been talking about, and then you've got this retired generation, huge, that's going out there. And, and we're both looking for different things. Well, absolutely. Um, and we can get into sort of uh, those priorities uh, uh, in a minute. 
Okay, we're well, we're at the end of our minute. <laughs> oh, we're at the end of the minute. Okay. We're at the case. end of the minute. And oh. so I, I think what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to come back and, and just talk about that whole concept of how people that whole emotional and how people are looking at the world and from these different advantage points. Well, exactly. And I, I think that um uh in this new world uh where you're gonna see the end of ultra low rates, um, you're gonna see more inflation than we've had. Uh, you're going to see uh, more uncertainty because uh, uh, the geopolitical situation is not China issues, Russian issues. They're not going away anytime soon. And as I said, that could be a whole nother uh, radio session for us. Um, but uh, the issues uh, involving those geopolitical situations are going to create uh, friction. So we grew up during the Cold War. And uh, our, our parents grew up on the back end of uh, World War II. So, you know, those are periods that we have just uh, no knowledge of. Um, it, it, I should say younger people have no knowledge of. They, they don't understand the, that used to live in a world where, yeah, the bomb could drop any time. And you sort of had that as a backdrop to your life. Uh, and I think we're not necessarily returning to that particular thing, but we're certainly living in a much more dangerous world where the prospect of conflict is 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 more omnipresent than before and that's just and that that's a factor in investing it is it just is let alone life um so so you have uh, a lot of different things in play that aren't just you know people who are who are for instance sitting there thinking when's the fed going to start cutting rates so we can get back down to 025 <laughs> percent that I don't think Never that's going to happen. Ain't going to happen. The Fed uh, is going to struggle and struggle to get inflation down to anywhere near its target. The, the Fed has a 2% target. It'll be lucky if it gets there. Uh, so I guess what I would say to people is, you know, be nimble, be smart in the year to come, but be prepared for sort of the big rules of change. My guest today is Mike Roth. He's the founder and president of Stark Investments. Mike, thank you. It's always such a pleasure having you on the on the air. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a really great day. Bye-bye.